for tuning in to the Archive, brought to you by the Mail Tribune. I'm Melissa Corman, and I'll be sharing the news with you from 100 years ago in this splendid city of Medford and Jackson County at large in 1918. It was a busy week for the law here in our wonderful Rogue River Valley, what with all sorts of rules and regulations being enforced and enacted. There's a bit of a dispute brewing in town with the new Sammies. And I've got a thrilling story of one of our own local girls' narrow escapes from the Germans' clutches. You will be amazed at her courage. So stay tuned for these stories and a few more. I start this broadcast with the following story to serve as a warning to any who think they can pull a fast one on the government. An Ashland bakery has been ordered closed for a week. Ben Zernstein, proprietor of the Bonton Bakery at Ashland, is the first baker to be penalized by the State Food Administration for violation of the United States Food Administration regulations. Zernstein was summoned before W.B. Ayer, State Food Administrator, Tuesday, charged with having failed to make the weekly reports with failing to record the weight of substitutes used in his bakery and with failing to use the required amount of substitutes in bread and pastry. The baker admitted his guilt, upon which Mr. Ayer suspended his license and ordered the doors of his business closed for one week. Now, this bit of news isn't exactly local. It comes to us from Washington. But it sure does affect every single one of us, simply because, well, we're American. Would you believe baseball is now to be held as non-essential work by Baker? Professional baseball was held a non-essential occupation under the Army Worker Fight Order today by Secretary Baker. I have decided the work or fight regulations include baseball, said Mr. Baker in announcing his decision. The secretary also expressed the opinion that the draft regulations should be changed so as to include all persons engaged solely in entertaining without the work or fight provisions. The decision was given on appeal in the case of Eddie Ainsmith, the Washington American catcher, which came up to the secretary with a suggestion from the local draft board that the regulations should be changed to exempt ballplayers. The secretary held that with many players beyond the draft age, it is by no means certain that complete disorganization of the baseball business will follow, that baseball players are of unusual physical ability and alertness, able to adequately provide for their families in productive occupations, and that employment of able-bodied men in non-productive work cannot be justified on the ground of the special status of the national game. W. Whitman, the well-known orchard foreman, gave the departing drafted men on Monday morning, July 22nd, 500 cigars to cheer up their long ride to Camp Lewis, and in addition, offered the boys three $50 Liberty Bonds for as many captured Germans after they reached the war front. Ain't that simply swell? Fire season is in full swing now. And just when we think we've got a handle on things, nature seems to like showing us what she's capable of. 
The high winds of the past two days out in the Hills District banned several dying forest fires into life again. A new fire is burning on Grouse Creek, south of Ashland Butte, and also a new one along Willow Creek, two miles south of Mosquito Mountain. Both these fires are in Jackson County Fire Patrol Association territory and are said to be of minor proportions. Federal Forest Supervisor Rankin and a force are still fighting the fire at Huckleberry Mountain. Another big fire in the Crater National Forest is burning at the head of Middle Fork on the Rogue River up in the Cascades. Let's all remember to be careful when we're out in the forest. That way we can prevent any further forest fires. Well, as I said earlier, it seems as though there is a fair bit of concern here lately when it comes to the newest batch of Sammies. As of late, drafted men say that the board is refusing to pay their expenses. I also want to make a quick remark here that the Mail Tribune was again refused the list for publication of drafted men who leave Monday for the war by County Clerk Gardner of the Draft Board so that it is unable to give this important news to its readers, although the drafted men are here awaiting departure. Just figured you should know that we are doing our utmost best to get the news to you, withholding nothing. But back to the story of the draft board. Some of the Jackson County boys who were living at distant points and were summoned back to the city by the county draft board to leave for Camp Lewis at 7.35 a.m. today, June 19th, and who also received merely written requests to be here to attend last night's farewell demonstration are financially embarrassed and claim that they are dependent upon the board for food and lodging over Sunday. Oscar Peterson, who has been living at Seattle, claims that the draft board today refused to furnish him lodging and meals until Monday, and asserts further that he has positive evidence that the board has been paying for the meals at a local restaurant for several days for two Medford men who are in the contingent called to leave Monday. Peterson called at the Mail Tribune office this noon with a delegation of other selected men who seemed to back up his claims. Peterson and the others all said that the notice they received from the draft board about last night's demonstration and the address to the drafted men by the Army officers was looked upon as an order to be here yesterday and that they thought they would be relieved of all expense from the time they reported. J.W. George, who arrived from Portland and admits that he is temporarily without money, says that when he asked County Clerk Gardner that the board provide him meals and lodging until Monday, he was told that he could get work at a creamery to tide him over. The draft boys also claimed that Sheriff Jennings, after calling roll in the city park at 6.30 p.m. yesterday, said, Now you are all soldiers. County Clerk Gardner this afternoon said that the board learned that Peterson had folks living in the city. In other news, Rawls Moore and Dr. E.H. Porter probably hold the season's record for a quick pleasure trip to Crater Lake. They left Metford by auto at 10 p.m. Saturday, reached the lake in the morning, fished for several hours, and caught 10 big rainbow trout cooked their camp supper, and were back in Medford by 1 a.m. on Monday.
bad for the recruits. Why, Ray Pruitt, arrested by motorcycle speed cop McDonald last Thursday night for speeding on the Pacific Highway, was fined only $5 in justice court. The light fine was due to the fact that Pruitt departs soon to begin his service in the Navy. Now, while it may be light outside longer, we all need to heed the law, making sure our autos have appropriate lighting. In fact, McDonald says, light your tail lamps or pay the fine. In making his rounds last night, motorcycle speed cop McDonald found 17 automobiles on the city streets and on the Pacific Highway without tail lights. He stopped each car and gave a warning but made no arrests in view of the fact that the state law requiring taillights had not been enforced for some time. McDonald today announced that from now on, he will arrest every violator of the light law that he finds. Because of the many arrests made during the past month, speed violations both in the city and on the Pacific Highway have been greatly decreased. This week, I received an update on one of our beloved boys, Ernest Adams, who you will remember I told you last week was killed in flight on an English field while training. C.W. Adams, brother of Ernest Adams of Willow Springs, who was killed in an aeroplane accident in England a few weeks ago, has received a letter from a Red Cross captain in London giving some details of the fatal accident. Adams was flying with an instructor, and when making a landing, the machine hit a mess of telephone wires, which turned the machine over, hurling it to the ground. Adams was instantly killed, while the instructor was injured seriously. The writer expressed gratitude that the deceased did not suffer and was not disfigured, adding, he was a fine, clean-cut American boy one that his country may well be proud of. Adams was buried July 1, 1918, at Lincoln, England, beside 11 other American flyers who gave their lives while preparing to meet the Germans at the front. Finally, I must tell you, our boys are not the only courageous ones we have. No, our girls, too, are made of strong stuff brave and daring. I give you an example of one of our Medford girls who recently escaped the Huns. An exciting tale indeed. Mrs. Donald Clark recently received a thrilling letter from Miss Dorothy Connor describing her experiences in the recent German drive which smashed through Bray in France, where Miss Connor had charge of a canteen. Brayen is on the Vel River between Soissons and Rez, toward which the Allied forces are now making rapid progress. Miss Connor, daughter of Mrs. Charles Connor, formerly of Jacksonville, was on the Lusitania when the boat sunk and she had a narrow escape from death. Nothing daunted, she soon returned to take up relief work near the fighting line and had been at Bray Inn many months when the Germans broke through the Chemin des Dames and drove south. Miss Connor describes the frightful bombardment and seeing the German planes coming over the northern horizon. A French soldier pointed to them and said, they are only a few miles ahead of the German advanced guards. 
After tending severely wounded soldiers, Miss Connor hastily got together a few personal belongings and climbed into a Ford car bound for Paris, the last car to leave before the invading forces arrived. She lost several valuable articles and the canteen, of course, with all its supplies and furnishings, which fell into the hands of the Germans. Miss Connor is now in Paris and wrote that as soon as the Allies swept back the hated Huns, she would return to Brayen and continue her relief work. All right, folks, that's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. Remember, these news stories have been brought to you by the Mail Tribune, a weekly series featuring news items that were drawn from the archives of the Mail Tribune from 100 years ago. You can find more stories like this in the Mail Tribune 100 column in the newspaper or online at mailtribune.com. We also have a full carload of other podcasts on a wide variety of topics. Believe me, you'll absolutely want to check them out. And be sure to follow us, too. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. If you like this podcast or have something you'd like to share with me, let me know in the comments or on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Have a swell day and check back next week for more stories from the archive.